but maybe you can hear me now. <laughs> Hopefully you heard that. So Austin's going to come up and read uh, the passage, so please remain standing. All right, so Romans 13. Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do you want do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is the servant of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a servant of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in, the, in subject, subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Pay to all what is due to them, taxes to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, respect to whom respect, honor to whom honor. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let's rid ourselves of the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and debauchery, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Thank you. <clears throat> Please be seated. So, if you're new here today, we're doing something that I don't think we've ever done in our 11-year history, except for get up here and say to vote biblically. We're going to explore today what that means. Um, you know, there's two sayings out there, don't bring religion into politics, or I worked in the corporate America world and it was, don't mix politics and religion in social gatherings. Well, Today we're mixing social, in, not so much the social, but we are going to mix religion and politics today. So, um, for those that don't know, I am RJ, I'm one of the elders here at Crosstrain, and uh, we are going to talk politics. The general election is November 8th. Um, we always refer, when we stand up here, to vote biblically. So today we're actually going to explore what it means to vote biblically. Um, we're going to take on what our role is what God's role is in the elections, as well as what does it mean to vote biblically. So I selected six topics that we will cover um, when we get towards the end, and I will give you Bible verses that will support the position of what it means to vote biblically. 
So talking point one, who determines the outcome of elections, like here in the U.S.? <laughs> what did you say, Scott? Our sovereign Lord. That's actually the right answer. Um, you know, a lot of people might think it's there's a secret society or the electoral college of its president or the Democrats or the Republicans or even us. But the reality is, and we'll explore um, kind of what John had shared earlier, we're going to explore Saul's life a little bit and how he was selected to be, by God, to be the king. So... First, the training thought. Um, are you doing your part in the upcoming elections? So the last time I was up here was about six months ago. And I told you then not to rely on what you hear, what you see, and what you read. Whether that be on social media, especially the TV ads right now. Um, filter everything through the Word of God. And as you do that, I'm even going to encourage you today with what I say. So take good notes and write down these verses and go explore for yourself. Draw your own conclusions. Don't rely on just what I say and see what the Bible says about it. Um, so we're going to start then, uh, well, real quickly, if you don't have a Bible, um, please raise your hand and somebody will get you a Bible. Um, if you don't have one, take it home. Read the verses we're talking about. So, uh, so starting with Romans uh, 13.1, Every person is subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. A um, couple of things that jumped out um, as I go through that passage is be subject to the governing authorities. Not necessarily an easy answer, when you, especially when you maybe don't align with who's currently in office or who's currently making the judgment calls. And then the last part of that is established by God. So that gets into the sovereignty of God, which we've talked a whole lot about over the last few months as we've been working our way through the Roman series, um, is just what does it mean to, for God's sovereignty? Paul goes on in Titus 3.1, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Peter also brings it up in Second First Peter 2 in 13 and 14. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether as a king, as the one in authority, or the governors as sent by him. Him is, being, is God. For the punishment of evildoers and, those, and the praise of those who do right. So, go back to the sovereignty of God, and if God chooses who's the election process, so who put Trump in the White House? My answer would be God. So then I also have to believe that God put Biden in the White House. Same God, just maybe not what I wanted, maybe not what you wanted, but same God. Because I, I'll, I will challenge you, do you really think Biden stole the election from Trump, that that could be pulled over on God? Believe whatever you may. I'm going to submit, is that me? I'm going to submit that that is God who put both of those men in place.
Okay, should be good to go now. So, what we're going to do is um, we're going to explore real quickly in this first section um, Saul. Um, I would think most of us would agree, if you're familiar with the Bible, Saul wasn't the best king. He was ornery. He didn't make the best choices. And we're going to explore what all of that actually looked like. Um, so why don't you turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 9, verses 15 to 17. So what we're going to look at here is if you go, actually, don't, it should, depends on where your Bible is at. Um, my Bible, it's right before <clears throat> what I just told you to turn to. But in chapter 8, in 19 and 20, the people are refusing to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we may be also like other nations. They, didn't, they were rejecting God. They weren't necessarily following what his commandments or what he wanted to be done. So in 1 Samuel 9, 15 to 17, this is where God is choosing Saul to be king. And it says, Now a day before Saul's coming, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel, saying, About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him prince over my people of Israel. And he shall deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have regarded, I have regarded my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw that the Lord had said to him, Behold, the man whom I spoke to you, this is the one who shall rule over my people. God chose Saul. People didn't choose him. If you go on to follow Saul's life in chapter 10, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. So the Spirit of the Lord changed Saul's heart. If you continue on in verse chapter 10, um, in the, the next section of verses, in verse 19 it says, But today you have rejected your God, this is Saul speaking to the people, who saves you from all calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Jump down to verse 24. And Samuel said to the people, do you see him who the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. So Saul continued his reign. And in the beginning, he followed the heart of God. He lifted up, he listened, and he obeyed what God was leading him. But come and behold, in chapter 15, the Lord starts to reject Saul. And he rejects him because he has turned from following his commandments and his ways. That's in verse 10. And then in chapter 16, and this is where, um, as we were speaking about earlier, at least what we were praying through in prayer time, the Spirit of the Lord departed Saul. You know, today, as saved Christians, the Spirit dwells within us. In the Old Testament, if you're going through the class, shameless plug for the training class, You'll, we have learned that the Holy Spirit moves in and out of people's lives as God sees fit. And that's just what we were seeing here. But as we start to look into the next point, what our role is, in 1 Samuel 24, is when Saul goes in to the cave where David is hiding from him, 
and I believe, well, I think my version of the Bible says relieve himself. Um, and Saul was in the same cave with his men, and his men encouraged him to kill him. He had an opportunity. He was vulnerable. But Saul chose not to, or I'm sorry, David chose not to kill Saul. He took the high road, as I would call it. He chose to let him live. He did take a piece of his robe that he will later share with Saul, that he had the opportunity and not. But he did what was right. He did not take matters into his own hands. In 1 Peter 2, in verse 15, it says, Such for the will of God that by doing right you silence the ignorance of foolish people. So nobody had the opportunity to speak harshly against David for taking Saul's life. He chose to let God deal with it. And if you continue on reading through the Samuels, you will see Saul ends up fleeing. He falls on his own sword, but he ends up dying via that way. And it wasn't through the, what David did. So now I go back. Saul was there for those nine chapters as we went through there before he died and whatnot to help make David David. He wasn't there for any other reason and to let David grow and mature into the person he needed him to be or God needed him to be. So, same thing. You know, whether you're a Biden fan or Trump fan, was Trump put in the White House for a period of time for someone else to develop or to do the work of God? We don't know. So, talking point number two, how do you adamantly support someone you disagree with or maybe don't respect with, or maybe you believe they don't even have a biblical view? They may claim to have a biblical view. question is, should you? You know, as we already talked about in 2 Peter 15, for such is the will of God that be doing right, you silence the, those of ignorance. You know, if you go back to first, or Titus 3, 2, when Paul talks, is talking, he says, Slander no one, not to be contentious, but be gentle, showing consideration for all people. So how are you going to show respect or to honor those that which we disagree? Something just to ponder. How do you do it? It's not necessarily an easy thing to do. So if you look at the, this actually leads us into one of two things that I will talk about as our responsibility during the election, or even us, I'll say post-election process, in that <clears throat> we should be honoring those that are in office. May not agree with them, may not want to support them, but I'm going to submit that from a biblical standpoint, we should be honoring who's there. So if you want to flip back to Romans 13, we will read verses 2 through 7, I believe. I didn't write that down. Sorry. It says, Therefore, whoever resists authority has, the port, has opposed the ordinance of God. And those who have opposed will raise condemnation among, upon themselves. For the rulers are not cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you, not want, do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same, for it is the servant of God for you to do good. 
But if you are do evil, be afraid, for it is not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a servant of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjectation, not only because of wrath, but for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Pay to all what is due to them, tax whom is tax, custom to whom is custom, and respect to whom respect. Honor to whom is honor. Peter also brings the same point up in, in, again in chapter 2 and verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Doesn't tell us we get to select and choose who we honor. It says honor everyone. All people deserve the same honor and respect. Not just those we support, but also those that we maybe disagree with. You know, if, if you go back, God puts people in place, put countries in place to bring correction to the world or to his people. You, you heard John speak about it in the case of Assyria and Babylon when the tribes of Israel split into northern and southern. The same holds true today. As we kind of... <laughs> There we go. Okay. This will get better, hopefully. Not all of us will jump. Keep you awake. Okay, where was I at? Oh, honor everyone. So turn to D Jeremiah 29. We're going to look at verses 4 to 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers and sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare for thus says the Lord of hosts the God of Israel do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you and do not listen to the dreams which they dream for they prophesy falsely to you in my name I have not sent them declares the Lord for thus says the Lord when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you, bring you back to this place. For 70 years. It's a long time to be in exile. But specifically there, 
what I want to talk about is go to verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. If you look at the welfare and, and it meaning peace, it also in the Hebrew means uh, shalom. And shalom covers all the aspects of peace and plenty. The expression of peace in the English language isn't near as robust as in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew section, if you look what it means, it means positive blessings, not just the absence of conflict and turmoil, but positive blessings. So are we do if we're doing to do the same things, are we praying for positive blessings for those that don't think as we think or agree with what we agree with? Especially that they have a calling to God. Maybe they think they have a calling to God. I would submit some of the politicians aren't voting biblically, and I'm not going to state who's what and who's not. Um, I would challenge you to, as we look at what it means to vote biblically, um, to go to azvoterguide.com and look for yourselves of what the different politicians and even some of the different amendments or propositions that are out there, what they mean, and let that guide you in your voting process. Jeremiah's counsel to the Israelites in Babylon was to take all the steps for living with the colonists, planning to be there for a long time. Remember, the Lord said they were going to be there for 70 years. Further, they were to seek Babylon's peace, or shalom, and intercede for it for prayer, because in their prayer they would also have their own welfare being so are we praying for peace are we looking at what has God put in place and praying for their welfare if you continue to look at Jeremiah 29 in verses 11 to 14 he continues to say for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all of the nations and all of the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place which I have sent you then you will call upon me. The Lord's inviting us in to his space. He's got a plan. and He's inviting us in. Then you will call. We are to pray. Pray for the people. We are to pray for the outcomes we desire. May not end up being what we want. It'll be up what we need. But we are to pray. I would also submit as you look at that, we are, in this case, to vote. He's inviting us in to this process, inviting us to participate in his plan. But, like I said, he doesn't need us, but he is inviting us in. If you look then to inviting and what 
that in the, into our Constitution, whether it be the women's rights, blacks' rights, it provides us the opportunity to vote. And I would encourage you that as we continue to move forward in the election process that you do vote. First John 2 says, the one who he abides in him ought, to, ought himself ought to wake, walk in the same manner as he walked. What he's talking about there is those of us who abide in Jesus ought to walk as Jesus walks. And this is where the term voting biblically starts to gain a little bit of traction. So the third talking point then is, so how are we to participate in the election process? Well, we already told to pray. I would also submit that we also are to go out and vote, be part of it. For Charles Spurgeon quote, and it's not going to show up on the screen, so sorry about that, but it says, to live for a political party is unworthy of a man who professes to be a Christian. Don't vote Republican. Don't vote Democrat. Vote as a Christian would vote. That's what I took as from that particular quote. So how do we vote? So what we're going to look at in the third point as we get to the th here is what does it mean to vote biblically? Romans 13. So hopefully you're still there in your Bibles. Starting in verse 8. I'm not. It says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in these words. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfillment of the law. Do this, knowing the time is, time is already for the hour for you to be awakened from your sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, lay aside the deeds of the darkness and put on the armor of the light. Let us behave properly in that day, not in carousing or drunkenness or sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but in the word in the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in this regard. So what does it look like to put on the Lord of Jesus? I would challenge you, as you look at that, it's vote as Jesus would vote. You know, as we, all, as we go through some of these, the metaphor of putting on clothing, it doesn't just mean imitating his character, but living in a close proximity relationship with Jesus. So if you're unsure how Jesus would vote, I would encourage you to be reading your Bibles. Because even as believers, we all have a new life. They still must constantly re renounce the flesh. So we've heard Doug talk, the two kingdoms. I did it, Doug. <laughs> Up and back. We're living in this worldly kingdom, striving for the heavenly kingdom. But we're stuck in the middle at this two times. You know, as we were going through the Old Testament, um, in Judges 17, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did was, was right in his own eyes. We'll get ourselves in trouble if we do what's right in our own eyes. Whether that be voting, making decisions, 
I would encourage you not only just in this voting process, but also as we look towards your life, pray about things before you react. Move as the Lord leads you. You will find, I have found in my life, unfortunately much later in life, that it's a better life than when I was making the choices myself. So, voting biblically. So I've chose six items as we move through here. Um, that'll be coming up, I believe, on the screen, hopefully. Um, and I'll be honest, some of these are softballs, at least if you've been in the church for any length of time. And the first one is pro-life. So I have chosen a series of verses as we move through this that says, and I wrote, I will vote pro-life because God hates the shedding of innocent blood, Proverbs six seventeen. Because God knows knows us before he forms us in the womb. Jeremiah 1, 5. Psalm 127, 3. Children are a gift from God. Genesis 9, 6. Because the God hates murderers. It comes from the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. In Genesis 9, 5, God says, For your lifeblood I will subvert for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. From each human being, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. So those willing to participate in the abortion must answer to the creator of life. Doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation. You're saved, you're always saved. But we will all give an account of our lives on that day. The next one is, I will vote pro-marriage. So, Genesis 2, 24. God defines marriage as between a man and a woman. Paul also discusses marriages in 1 Corinthians 7, in verses 2 to 16. And if specifically, if you start looking in verse 12, it's one man, one woman. He also, in Ephesians 5, refers back to Genesis 22-24. There's many verses in the Old Testament against homosexuality. Homosexuality is not something that just started. If you read the Bible, it's been around the entire time. It's been something God has been against since the beginning of time. It's nothing new. What's new is same-sex couples wanting to marry. And I would tell you, vote biblically. Even Jesus in Matthew 19 refers back to Genesis 2 and it says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. For me, personally, it's fairly easy. I have extended family that falls into this category that we adamantly disagree. And I, my response to them is, I hope you're right and that I'm interpreting it wrong. I don't believe I am. Because if not, I know where you're headed. And it's not the same place I'm headed. So, um, One of the other ones... It says, I will vote pro-Israel. This one can be a little more debatable 
is because Israel was a people, not a country um, in the Old Testament, but it still goes, I will still support voting pro-Israel because God blesses those who bless Israel and curses those who don't. Um, the other one I have chosen would be, I will vote pro-work. Pro now, this one ought to potentially raise a few eyebrows. Because God says, if a man won't work, let him not eat. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. And I would submit at this time, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be helping people. I mean, if you look at it, brother help brother. If you know someone in need, reach out a hand to help them. Galatians 6 talks about helping the widows and the orphans. It's not that we aren't to help them. It's not that people won't need help. They do. What I'm referring to here is, or what I believe they're referring to here is, is a long-term solution where people get on welfare and they have no way out. The government doesn't want to give them a way out because when they rely on the government, they rely that becomes their God, not God. Their God is small g in the government. You know, I read a thing once, um, John MacArthur, and he talked about tithing Old Testament versus New Testament. And in the Old Testament, there's a lot about a 10% tithe. And in the article that I read, MacArthur made the comment that the 10% tithe was like a tax. The tax is what was used to support when people needed help. Because if you continue to read through the Old Testament, it still talks about sacrificial giving. First, there's other offerings in there besides a 10% tithe. So I just submit that we are to help people. In my ideal world, commentary by RJ, they would come to the church for help. You know, um, but so much of our tax money for those that do work is going to the government to support this. So it's a little bit out of balance currently. The other one I have wrote down here was I will vote pro debt reduction. Proverbs 22 7 because the borrower is the servant to the lender. In Habakkuk, I said that right, 2 7 and then it says suddenly your debtors will take action. They will turn on you and take all you have while you stand trembling and helpless. So those that ever have sat down with my wife and I, you'll know that I'm pretty anti-debt. The only debt we currently carry is for our house. Um, but, and that's hard to get away from. But it, I would challenge you to do it. So if you stop and think, who is the debt carrying the debt of America? Because, you know, they just recently passed another spending bill to up the debt limit so they can keep the government going. You get yourself into a vicious circle. Borrow more debt, takes more interest. More interest takes more money from your budget. You're in a vicious cycle. They just keep issuing debt. So I will vote pro-debt reduction. But I wanted to share, more so the second one. Do you know the top two countries that hold the American debt? Number one's Japan. The second one ought to scare you. It's China. So I will vote pro-debt reduction. And the last point that I have here, um, 
says, I will vote for protecting religious beliefs. So if you look at the uh, AZ voter guide, I believe it's question number nine. And what they're getting at here is talking about protecting people and their religious beliefs from having to perform a service to those against which they disagree with. So if you look at our bylaws in our church, um, and if you even look at the facility policy, which I don't believe is on the website, but I have it if anybody would like to see it, um, we reference back to the same thing. So many years ago, Doug and I were at a conference, and the lawyers were recommending that we ch amend our articles of incorporation. So the church defines marriage as one man, one woman. So if you had a same-sex marriage, and somebody wanted to be married here, whether Doug was, to, they was asked to perform the service or not, or the church, we can specifically state it violates our articles of incorporation, and we won't do it. Well, if you follow this around the country, people are being sued. I believe there was a baker sued out in New Mexico. Photographers have been sued for not wanting to support a necessarily a same-sex marriage. So it says, I will vote for protecting religious beliefs. In Deuteronomy 22.5, sorry, the Lord tells us not to wear the other opposite sex garments. It specifically says, a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor a man shall put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. Jump to the New Testament in Romans 1, 24 to 27. Therefore, God gave them up to their lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Goes on. For this reason, God gave them up for their dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave, them, gave up natural relations with women, who were consumed with a passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. But go back. God gave them up. He turned away from them. That's for me personally, was enough to turn away and support the fact people should not be forced to violate their religious beliefs. So as I invite the worship team back up, um, going to go finish with just a couple of verses here. In 1 John 2, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God will live forever. Doing the will of God conforms us to the image of his son. Like I said in the beginning, we're all going to give an account for our lives to the Lord. And when asked how you voted, how will you respond? Like I said, you're not going to lose your salvation through this, but you are going to have to respond. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Not just for some, for all of them. Your salvation is secure. If, however, you continually repeat the same sin, 
are you truly repenting of that sin? We are told to repent and believe. And repent, repenting does include turning away and trying to stop sinning. Let's pray. Lord, I pray we take the high road like David. Follow your words and honor everyone, especially those we believe will harm us or maybe think in a way we don't think. I pray we lift those all of those folks up in prayer that you have a plan and are in control. You're conforming us to the image of your son who died on the cross. I pray for those individuals who are making the decisions that are contrary to what you have in your book. I pray that you change their hearts just as you changed Saul's heart and had the Holy Spirit come upon him. I pray for those individuals as well that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and they would make the decisions that are honoring to you. I pray all of this in your son's name.